share with you this morning um, three things about lessons that we learn at Christmas. Three lessons that we learn at Christmas. And I recognize today that I, I know that sitting here today, some of you are trying to get the last minute deals on Amazon and you want me to think you're reading the Bible on your smartphones. <clears throat> but you're really not. Because some of you are scrolling and you would have scrolled through the whole Bible by now. Uh, and there's so many different things on your mind. But I would like it for a few minutes if you could just go back with me. Let's go to the Let's go to the story of the birth of Jesus. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 2? And I want to read the first seven verses, and then we're going to look not so much at the story, but what lessons God is teaching those within Bible time and those of us today from, from this story. It said, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Father, I pray that even though we have read this story perhaps again and again and again and could almost quote it because we've heard it so many times, would you... Would you let the newness of the gift of Jesus settle into our hearts today? I pray that you would take this story today and that the lessons that you were teaching Mary and Joseph and that you were teaching the world that, at that time and that you were still teaching us today would come through so very, very clear that we could understand them all. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you noticed that it's harder and harder to get people to say Merry Christmas? Have you noticed as you're going to the store that it, I don't know if, if any of you that work in retail, if you have been trained, but it seems as if everything is, is happy holidays or I hope you have a good week. And, and whenever I hear something like that, I instantly stop where I am and I turn and look at them in the eyes and I say, Merry Christmas! And some of the people there feel like suddenly they've been given permission to be who they are. And they go, oh, Merry Christmas to you too. And then there's other people that just go, yeah, yeah. I was reminded of how divisive this particular season of the year can be for so many different people when Cindy and I a few years ago were driving to Long Island. And as we're getting ready to cross the George Washington Bridge, it was, we didn't have a, an easy pass yet then. So as we're going through the toll booth, there was a lady there and she hands us the ticket. And I look at her and I said, thank you so much and Merry Christmas. And she looked at me and she goes, I don't celebrate Christmas. And as I'm driving off, I rolled out my window. I said, oh, that's too bad. And rolled my window. There is a strategy that the world in which we live in is currently engaged in, and that is they're doing everything they can do to remove Christ from being the center of Christmas. And if they could change the name of Christmas, 
they would do it because his name radiates through it all. And I recognize that Christmas can be difficult for different people and there are different things that are going on. And, and some of you, the idea of Christmas is I just need to get through it without offending anybody. I just want to make it through Christmas. And as we read Luke's gospel today, it gives us a, a deeper and a right meaning for Christmas. But I believe that there's more to this. I believe that there were some things that God was doing behind the scenes that when we read the Christmas story, we may not readily catch a hold of that I would like to just remind you of some of those things today. And so the first lesson of the Christmas story is this. It reminds us that God is in control even when it appears different than that. God is in control even when it appears different from that. How many of you either have been or are currently involved in a situation in life where you feel like God has just been silent? And you're wondering, I wish that he would just say something. I wish he would just guide me and direct me. I just, I just wish that I knew what was happening. The scripture indicates to us in this particular passage, it says, in those days, or depending on the version of Bible you have, I might say, in the days of Caesar Augustus, he issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. We look at this, and it was God working through the plans of the emperor who issued an order in a distant land that forced his servants, Mary and Joseph, to the town of their family origin that scripture might be fulfilled. How many of you know that probably sometime during that journey they were wondering what is going on? How can all of this be happening? Caesar's decree started a domino effect that God used to trigger a sequence of events that would bring the Messiah into the world, born precisely at the right time, and precisely at the right place, and precisely at the right moment. And it was no accident that Luke begins the Christmas story with the phrase of, in the days of Caesar Augustus. Because it's Luke's understanding that this issuing of the decree was no accident. It was of God's planning. And that God can use and will use people that don't even believe in him from behind the scenes to bring about things that can only bring glory to God. And so God was using Caesar as an instrument to bring this family from Nazareth to Bethlehem. So here is this great Gaius Octavius, which is Caesar Augustus' given name. He was the great nephew and the successor of Julius Caesar. He ruled for 44 years. He began his reign at 30 B.C. at the young age of 33. And it is said of his leadership that when he came to Rome, he found it in brick. By the time he left, Rome was marble. He was a magnificent Caesar in terms of power and in terms of might and accomplishment. But the scripture says that God began to plant seeds into this Caesar's mind. How many of you know God can make you think whatever he wants you to think? He began to plant seeds into his mind. And in the arrogance of this Caesar, for whatever reason, he woke up one day and began to think, I wonder how many people I rule. I wonder how big my kingdom is. I wonder how many people I actually have within my realm. 
And as a result of that thought that God plants into his mind, he begins to find out and he declares that a census of the world should be taken so that he can answer a question of just how big is my kingdom and just how great am I. And the early Christians knew what was happening. They, they knew how God was working. They knew that the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob had stirred him and, and caused this mighty Caesar to begin to think thoughts that God had deposited within him and to do God's bidding. You know, God could have done anything to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. He could have used flying reindeer to get them to Bethlehem. He could have used angelic hosts to come down and grab them by the arm and transport them instantly to get to Bethlehem. But instead, God working behind the scenes plants a thought into a Caesar's mind who in arrogance declares, I want to see my kingdom. And he starts with this decree that leads Mary and Joseph. Because God is in control even when you don't see it. To Bethlehem. And this was a very important Lesson for the early church to learn and recognize that God is behind human power, that God is behind human Caesars, and there were first century believers in Jesus Christ that lived and died under the reign of four emperors. There was Caesar Augustus, who was the Caesar when Jesus was born. There was Caesar Tiberius, under whom Jesus died. There was Caesar Nero, under whom the early Christians experienced their first great suffering. And there was Caesar Domitian, who was at the time of John and the writing of Revelation, was doing his best to crush Christianity by persecuting and killing Christians by the thousand. And the early Christians needed to know that in the middle of adversity and in the middle of situations that they did not plan, that God was in control and he was orchestrating everything out for his will even when it didn't look like it. And the lesson that we learn through the Christmas story is regardless of what may be happening in our life or within our world, God is in control. Some of you need to be reminded of that today, and so I'd like you to repeat it with me. God is in control. Behind the human thrones, behind the providence of human minds is the controlling instrumentality of God's hand at work. How many of you love to listen to the Hallelujah course? Any of you fans of that course? There's a line in that that many of you probably know. It says this, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever and ever and ever and at this Christmas we need to know regardless of what may be happening God is in control and is at work within the lives of those around him there may be situations that from a human vantage point it often seems as if God is not active in human history or maybe in your life it seems as if he's not very active within your life and, and you're beginning to wonder why is it that I feel so alone that I feel so isolated I need you to know something. Your feelings do not determine the plans and the power of God. We had a board meeting at New Hope this past week and I met an individual by the name of Bob Faust and Bob is from Alabama. And as I was talking to Bob, he was telling me, I just had the most beautiful flight from Alabama. And he said, and we spent a lot of time in the air at about 30,000 feet. It was clear and I could see the Mississippi River. 
He said, you know, want to know what fascinated me about the river from, from 30,000 feet is he said, it's not straight. He said, there's constant bends and turns, and some of them go quite a distance outside of where you would think it's going to go. And he says, and if you're in a boat and you're just trying to drive it straight, you're running into the shore and you're bouncing around. He says, but the one thing I notice is this. It does have a destination, and all of the water that's in there eventually gets to exactly where it is intended to go. And so many times we believe in our lives that if we are followers of Christ and if we just do what he says, that our life will be like a straight line and there'll be no deviation and everything will go smooth. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of bends in the, the river of life. And sometimes we're in the middle of those and we can't see the destination and we're wondering what is happening. But I need you to know something. God is in control. And if you will stay the course, you will reach the destination regardless of how many bends you may have to go through. God is in control. And so we understand right from the beginning with the Christmas story that God is fitting all of these things together for his purposes. Even a decree of an arrogant government official he uses to bring his plan into place. And we must see that in our own lives as well. God is in control. The second thing that we learn from the story is this. Sometimes God leads us indirectly. Sometimes he leads us indirectly. The census was a means of indirect leadership. There is no record of God speaking with a divine voice to tell Mary and Joseph to go to Bethlehem. In fact, how many of you are planners? And, and when I say planners, this is what I mean. If you're going on a vacation, you have planned it months before you go. You've made reservations at every hotel you're going to go to. You may even have chosen restaurants you want to be a part of, and you make reservations. How many of you have ever gone to Disney and bought your tickets like six months ahead of time? You've, you have stayed up till midnight to get Fast Pass. Any of you like that? Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Because we have lots of planners in the church. And to a planner's mind... You look at this Christmas story, and this drives you nuts. It drives you nuts. You begin to wonder, how in the world could Joseph have not made reservations ahead of time? How in the world could something so significant have slipped off the to-do list when his wife is this far along? In fact, History indicates to us that this decree took place. It was not something that happened, came one day and they had to leave the next. It was months in the making. Months in the making. Joseph easily could have made that trip with Mary when it was far more convenient. He could have made reservations at a different inn. He could have planned it a little better. And for the planners, we look at this going, what are they doing it could have been so much different, this story. And I think back to Cindy and I when we were expecting our first baby. We lived in a town of 5,000 people. Our house was just slightly less than a half a mile away from the hospital. We could have jogged there in five minutes. And yet, weeks before she was due, we had a birth bag packed. Everything she needed was going to be in that bag. We knew right where it was. We'd even practiced a couple of times. How do we get out the door, grab the bag as we go? We knew where everything was. She had a focal point in that, that in the middle of while she's in labor, I'm going to be holding this up, and she's going to be breathing and looking. We didn't realize how useless that would become. 
but we made plans. Because the moment that she said to me, I think the pains are real this time, we're out of here. Five minutes and we're at the hospital. How could Joseph have missed all of this in his lack of planning? And as we look at this, what we begin to recognize is it would be easy for us to look at this and say, that is such a dereliction of parental responsibility that they waited so long in Nazareth in their little hilltop home before finally in the ninth month of pregnancy to make a difficult 80-mile trip on a donkey, walking along the way. It's a tough ride for anyone, let alone a young lady in the final hours of pregnancy with all the back pain of sitting unsupported on a donkey and having to stop every 45 minutes to go to the bathroom. Now, what I'm about to offer you, I need you to understand, may not be scriptural. It's a guess. I would suggest to you a guess that maybe one of the reasons that they waited is because they were waiting for a direct divine word of the Lord that it's time to go. And let, me add, let, me, let me add this as to why I may guess this. I, I wonder sometimes if maybe on a daily basis Joseph didn't walk into Mary and say, Mary, has the angel showed up again? You know, has Gabriel showed up and said it's time for us to go? You know, what's, what's Gabriel saying to you? And Mary's going, I'm not, I'm, I'm not hearing from Gabriel at all. There's, there's nothing, nothing. It's, it's silent. She goes, the angel hasn't come today. In fact, as you look at Scripture, the angel never came back to give directions to her again. After making the initial announcement that she would be the expectant mother with Jesus, Gabriel does not return to the situation. And I wonder if maybe Mary was waiting, because this is the way God had dealt with her in the past, that maybe the angel will come and tell us what to do. There's another side to that as well in this. Maybe they waited because Joseph was used to hearing from God in dreams. Remember, God had dealt with him in the past. He had made a huge life-changing decision that he was going to continue to keep Mary and be engaged to her because in a dream, God spoke to him. And so I'm picturing, you know, you know me, those of you who attend here, I have to picture things in my mind and create stories of how it may have looked. And so I'm picturing this abundantly pregnant woman and her husband comes in and he says today, hey, angel show up today? We have any word? And she in her frustration is going, no, have you had any dreams? Sorry, babe. Job. Nope. And because of the way the Lord had led them in the past and the direct revelation of his will to them, it is entirely possible that the reason they delayed so long in all of this is because God was indirectly guiding them and no longer directly speaking to them any longer about this. And so I'm sure that in the last days before Nazareth, Joseph was saying to Mary, listen, sweetheart, I have got to be there by this date. This, I, I can't wait any longer. We've got to go. I've got to get there to the home and be counted. I've got to get back there. Do you think you'll have the baby soon? And Mary would say, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. And finally, Joseph says to her, sweetheart, I can't wait any longer. I have got to go to Bethlehem. And so I'm just going to take off. Hang on here. I'll try to get there, register, and get back as quick as I can. Just don't have the baby. And she says, if you think that you are leaving me here in this condition, you are out of your mind. I'm riding the donkey with you. Okay. 
And so they agreed and they set off. And I wonder if on that journey, as they are cresting the hill of Nazareth and they're looking out over the valley below them, how many times they thought to themselves, we're making a huge mistake here. This was a bad idea because we're leaving so late in the pregnancy. What they did not know is that God was leading them indirectly. There were occasions when God had guided them very specifically and very directly, but they were learning a lesson that any of us who have committed our lives to following the Lord comes to grips with, and that is the Lord at times within our lives, in the midst of our own doubt and in the midst of our own wonderment, will not tell us what to do, but instead leads us indirectly because of the circumstances surrounding our life. Have any of you ever had that happen? where the circumstances forced you to do something, looking back on it, you see, that was God working indirectly. I would be honest with you today and tell you I would much rather that every decision that I need to make, that God would just speak to me with an audible voice because sometimes I don't get the little subtleties. And yet, the vast majority of our lives walking as children of God will be walking in obedience because he does something that creates circumstances where we are led indirectly. And so the Lord guided Mary and Joseph into the future. They were in his present will by being the kind of people that God had called them to be. And when we're the kind of person walking in his will, in obedience, in the known revelation of God, then we can also be the kind of people when God says, through the circumstances of your life, I'm redirecting you, but I am indirectly leading your life. And this Christmas time, maybe this is a word especially for you. You don't sense any kind of direct divine presence that's guiding you. Maybe you feel like you are just floating along and you're just bobbing along and you don't have any direction. You don't know what's going on. Let me tell you something. In those moments of life, you just keep following God, reading the word and praying and being the kind of person that you're supposed to be so that the circumstances that God may surround you with will indirectly guide you exactly where he wants you to go and do what he wants you to do. Maybe it's a confusing time of your life, and, and just because we're confused doesn't mean that God is confused. He knows what's going on. And the Christmas lesson is saying God is always at work on our behalf and on the behalf of all of his people to accomplish his plan, so just keep being the right kind of person, and indirectly God may very well be leading you. And the third great lesson of Christmas that we learn from this account not only is God in control, and not only does God lead us at times indirectly, but God appeals to us on the basis of love rather than the basis of power. If I understand Bethlehem and the birth of Christ laid in a manger, then I understand what God is really saying to us. What he's saying is, I want you to approach me from an attitude of love and adoration. I didn't send myself to be robed in my garments. I didn't come with white and in majesty. I came to you in a very, very approachable way. The fascinating thing about this is, again, for those of you that are expectant parents, you work very, very hard to make sure that you have the most trained experts surrounding you. You want to take away every obstacle and every variable just so that you know that when the birth time arrives, you've got people that can do things that you can't do. Because I can tell you, as a father, it's very vulnerable to sit there knowing there's nothing I can do except cheer somebody on. So I want the best people around. 
As a mother in the middle of giving birth, the most vulnerable time of her life, and she wants to know that she's surrounded by people that know what they're doing and can encourage her and help her in those moments. And the moment that that baby is born and they are handed into our arms, there comes this sense of peace, and suddenly we begin to recognize the vulnerability of that infant because nobody's afraid of a baby. Not only was Jesus born as a baby rather than coming as a full-grown king, he was also born in a situation where even the shepherds were not afraid to come and behold him. In other words, I need to make sure that when I come, there is nobody, nobody that feels as if they are not able to approach me. Interesting within Scripture, it says the Lord was born at a manger in the inn, and I discovered that there's two words for inn in the New Testament. One of them describes a place where you may go, and if you go there, a room is provided, there's food provided for you, and then the other one is a place where you go that basically has enough room for your animals, and you can sleep with your animals if you want, and this inn was the most humble of the humble. A cave, likely, that is cut out of a wall at the end And this is where God let his son be born. And almost everybody in that first Christmas missed the signs. A baby born in a manger is a small event known only to a few shepherds and to Mary and Joseph. Why would the Lord of glory let himself come in such a poor way? Because it's a sign to humanity then and a sign to us today that God's love is approachable for all of us. I have a friend of mine by the name of Joe Iannone. He used to pastor a church in our district. And I remember that he and his wife loved Rottweilers. Any of you, have you ever seen those kind of dogs? I, I remember going to their house, and they had just bought this Rottweiler puppy. And I came into the house, and this little ball of fur is rolling around, and I'm tickling it. And you, know, you smell the dog breath on it, and you're just rolling around having a lot of fun. I came back two years later, and uh, that, that innocent-looking puppy had grown and was as big as me. And I stood at the door thinking, oh, Lord, I hope that somehow there is ingrained in this little puppy's mind a smell that he remembers that is not food as he smells me. And the difference in the way that they were treated when they walked down the street holding the little puppy and carrying the puppy versus the way when they're walking down and this big, huge dog is leading them down the street and people would cross the street and give because of the in- intimidation factor of a dog that size. It may be nice as can be. But the look of it is intimidating. Do you know that God could have come intimidatingly? He could easily have come in such a way that the vast majority of humanity would step back and say, you are unapproachable and I am afraid of you. And so you may be great and mighty, but I I cannot approach you. Instead, he came as an infant born in the cheapest inn that there was so that nobody could say they couldn't approach him. And he's letting us all in on his wonderful love. And so with these three lessons comes three questions that I would like to end with. The first question is this, if indeed the Lord is over all and his power is seen within the Christmas story that God omnipotent rules, then you and I must answer the question, have we turned our life over to his control? Have we made a conscious decision to say that he is my Lord and Savior? You know, one of the things that really fascinates me about this story is this. It is recorded in Scripture the indication that God worked through Caesar, but he never worked in Caesar. 
Did you notice that? Do you know that you can be used of the Lord and never know him? God can use you and work things out in life that you could be used for his glory. And at the end of it, maybe your story will say, God did something through me. The unfortunate part of that is that when the Lamb's Book of Life is opened, only the names that will be listed there are those with whom he dwelled inside of. Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? That's the first question that we have to ask ourselves. Is does the Spirit of Jesus live in me because I've invited him in? The second question that we ask ourselves is this. Are you in a situation in life where it seems as if God is not guiding you? Is this a silent period for you? I think the Christmas story is telling us that there's this phenomenon in life. Sometimes we call it a cluster of revelation, and I believe that there are times in our lives, and, and I've lived long enough following the Lord, and many of you have as well, that you'll, you'll know sometimes God reveals himself in little clusters, and, and then we begin to always expect that that's the way it's going to be. Well, God did this to me in the past. God, God directed me this way in the past. God answered a prayer for me this way in the past. God, God said these things to me, and so I'm going to expect that all of my life, this is the pattern God will use. And it doesn't work that way. Maybe you find yourself in a time in life where the circumstances surrounding you seem to be guiding you places that you would never have chosen on your own, and you don't know what's going off, but today the Christmas story tells you God is in control, and he may very well be working as he's leading you indirectly and not speaking directly to you, but the pressure of circumstances guides you. So be the kind of person you're supposed to be so that wherever you go, when you get there, you recognize God has prepared this for me already. And does it work among me? If this Christmas is uncomfortable for you, maybe there's tension or division in your family. Maybe there's been a loss this year by death or divorce trauma of some sort this past year and you are facing this Christmas season and you just begin to recognize this is not at all what I planned this is not the attitude that I wanted to approach this season with I just feel so out of kilter and feel lost in all of this be reminded that the place where Jesus was born was not the place that Mary and Joseph would have chosen in fact they tried to get a better place they went and asked and were told no the door is closed you cannot come here And so if you can't be where you want to be, be who you should be so that God can do that work in you. Somehow if Jesus is present with us, wherever we find ourselves, whatever the circumstances of life that we may be in, as long as Jesus is with us, we can find peace and we can find hope. And the last question is this. Out of all of the lessons of Christmas, have you responded to God's love? See, God is reaching out at Christmas. The whole, the whole account is about God saying, I want to make salvation available to everybody. None of you have lived a life that is so bad that you are disqualified from the grace that Jesus brings and the forgiveness that he brings. None of you live in a circumstance where you would say, you know what, he came in such a mighty and powerful way that I am not qualified to approach him. He came humbled, vulnerable, so that every one of us could say, I have found Jesus for my own. 
Now, he came and was born this way, but he's coming again. And when he comes again, he's coming on a white horse. He's coming as a conquering king. He's coming as the victor. He's coming in a way that will cause those who don't know him to shudder in fear. But for those of us who know him, to stand in victory. So the opportunity is here. He came as a baby so that you could choose him. And I'm going to ask that you would just bow your heads with me this morning. I want to return to that first question for just a moment because it's a question that every single person in the face of the earth through all time must answer, and that is this. Have I given control of my life to the Lord? Have I surrendered my will to His? And if you're here today, maybe you're going through circumstances and saying, man, I've done my very best and I just can't seem to pull it all together. Is today the day? I'm just, if you are struggling with this and you would like prayer today, would you just raise your hand? You can put it right back down. Yes, I'm not going to embarrass you. Yes, 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 yes. Father, for those right now, I pray. Sometimes we are in such a battle with you as to who's going to be in control. And, and Lord, we want you to be in control until you start allowing the circumstances of life to be arranged in such a way that there's a bend in the river that we didn't see coming. And then the temptation is to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to take over the steering wheel now. And yet in the middle of this story, one of the lessons that we learn is that you are in control. Even when we don't see it, and even when there's a bend in the river, Lord, that we just trust you. And if we do, that the current of our life will lead us to the right destination. So for those that are having trouble trusting you today, would you strengthen them, oh God? For those of you who are in a situation where it seems as if you've not heard from God and it seems as if you're in a quiet period of time and you're so desperately wanting to hear from God and it's just been quiet and you're saying, would you please pray for me? I don't know what to do in this situation. Would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning? Yes, 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 yes. Maybe you're here and this Christmas is different for you because you've lost somebody through the year and you're finding yourself in this situation say, this is different than what I expected. I just need the strength and comfort of God during this season. Is there anyone? Yes. Yes, yes, many. So Lord, we come before you understanding that there are times of life that are uncomfortable. Times of life where there are things that have happened, where there could be death or divorce or trauma of things that have caused this to look differently than we planned. And suddenly we find ourselves, and it's not cozy, and it's not comfortable, and it doesn't live up to the Christmas songs. But yet, Lord, in the middle of this place, it's a place of your choosing. Would you allow us at this moment in our life, God, to simply rest in the knowledge that you know what you're doing and that you will protect us and guide us and keep us and that as long as I'm in your presence... I'm safe. And would you encourage and comfort and lift up those who are brokenhearted, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And the last question is, maybe you got invited to a Christmas service and you're here today, but you can never remember a time when you personally invited Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Maybe you thought, you know what, I'm a Christian just by virtue of osmosis. You know, I'm around Christian people. I go to church. In the end of it all, the only thing that will matter is the decisions that you made concerning Jesus. And so, 
I'm going to ask that you would close your eyes one more time, and I'm going to ask if you're here today and you would just simply like to be sure that if life were to end today, you know you'd spend eternity in heaven with him because he became your Savior. Would you just lift a hand so I can pray for you? Yes, ma'am. Are there others? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Are there others today? You just want to be sure. And so, Father, we pray that this simple message of the lessons that we learn at Christmas would be the open door for these two ladies today to simply say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Would you cleanse me from my past and wash away all my sin? Would you make me a brand new creature? And just as Jesus was born into this earth, would you let him be born again in me so that I can be a follower of you? And in these things I pray and know that heaven rejoices. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you, tomorrow night or Christmas Eve, would you, would you please come? It's going to be beautiful in here. The candlelight service, there's nothing like it anywhere. And if you have friends and family, would you join them to come? I can guarantee you that they're going to have an opportunity to be introduced to the Savior. And I can guarantee you it will be an evening that we will never forget. So please, I, I know that if, if you have family things that you must do Christmas Eve, that's why we added an extra evening. Please, please, let, let worship find its way onto your calendar over these next two evenings. Would you stand with me, please? I'm going to ask our altar workers if they would please make their way to the front. And in just a moment as I conclude, if there are some things going on that you would like to have somebody come and pray with you about today, then please don't leave before you have an opportunity for, for these who love the Lord and would be glad to join you in prayer to pray for whatever needs may be going on in your life. For the rest of you, as you go throughout the activities of the day and the next couple of days, would you please remember the lessons of Christmas? God is in control. Sometimes He leads us indirectly. And he's approached us, not from a position of power, but from a position where everybody is welcome to extend, to be extended his love and mercy. For